Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Daniel Prisbilko. Ever ready. I'm talking today about the parable of two sons. You know, when I did the Sabbath school for the early teens downstairs earlier today, the boys asked me, first thing they asked me, Noah and Kalani, they come in and they said, what are you preaching about today, Pastor? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, well, I'm preaching about the two sons. Oh, that's us. Awesome. <laughs> no. Uh, no, the two sons, the parable of the two sons. When... Um, I was a little more grown up, wasn't teenage anymore. My sister reminded me about how when we were at odds, uh, you know, with, my with our parents, it was actually more her than me. I never used to really argue with my parents, but my sister did. Fairly appropriate sort of picture, isn't it? Um, and somehow she says, I would always get off scot-free. She was always the one in trouble. And I remember when um, she first reminded me about this and um, that after one of the episodes where she was arguing, I said to her, why are you always arguing? I said, don't argue, just do what you need to do. Was that good advice from the younger brother? Anyway. I guess I must have figured out it's better to get into trouble and then ask for forgiveness later. Uh, uh, although I can't remember getting into too much trouble with mum and dad as a youngster. Anyhow, as I think about it today, who do you think was more righteous? Myself or my sister? I think it's probably my sister, right? At least she would argue her point and then likely fall into line, whereas the younger son, I was probably more like, you know, the dark horse, non-confrontational, but doing your own thing. Who was more righteous? I think my sister. Jesus told the parable about two sons, and we find it in Matthew chapter 21, just a few verses there, Matthew chapter 21 and uh, Verses 28 to 32. And Jesus said this, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders of Israel at this time, trying to point out the errors of their ways. They were the yes people, but they didn't follow through. True? 
They didn't yield to the message of John the Baptist and they actively opposed the work of Jesus. They were the ones looking down on the outsiders in Israel's society, the, the, you know, the tax collectors and, and the, the prostitutes. These outsiders, however, would be ahead of them in entering the kingdom of heaven. What a message. How does it apply to us? How is it relevant in our day today? Well, we find in this parable, I believe, hope for all of us. How many? Hope for all of us. Because both sons actually did what was wrong. And I think probably we're all in that category, right? We, uh, of, of being in the wrong. The other reason we find hope in this parable is that irrespective of their decisions and their action or their inaction, the brothers are not written off, but they're still they're given a chance. And I'm thankful that God is a God of grace. Amen. He's a God that gives us chances. Most likely we've had experiences in life where we've resisted something, resisted someone and then in the end, we've relented and said yes. Isn't that true? Happens all the time, fairly regularly in the family home, I think. <laughs> you know, we, we argue, we oppose something, but in the end, you know, it's worked out. But it happens in our journey to the Lord and with the Lord as well. Friends, are we ever ready to do the will of the Father? What do we see in the scriptures as being God's will? Have you ever said you'd do something, but then you didn't follow through? What things generally might cause you not to follow through? And how can our no become yes? How can our yes remain a yes? <clears throat> well, first of all, I want to say that you can do it. You know, let's not be all talk and no action. In verse 30, we read, I will go. The son says, I will go, but he didn't go. It may be easy for us to say, yes, I will go. I think that was my last sermon, right? I will go. <laughs> it may be easy for us to say, I will go. Even if it means living in a difficult environment. It may be easy for us to say, I will follow. Even if it means having to give something up. It may be easy for us to say, I will do something that, you know, other people don't often put their hand up to do. It may be easy for us to say, I will give over and above what I would normally find comfortable. Yes, a thousand times yes, I will. Yes, I will go. But sometimes the follow through may not be forthcoming. True? What would it take for us to be encouragers? To be encouragers to help other people to follow through. I think the Holy Spirit is constantly at work striving to do just that. Isn't that true? That's what the Spirit does with each one of us. The Spirit comforts, but he also encourages, exhorts us to keep going to do the right thing. Someone once said, Encouragement is deciding to make your problem my problem. Have you ever thought of it that way? Encouragement 
is deciding to make your problem my problem. And I understand that we can't be that for everyone. But God can, right? God decided a long time ago to make our problem his problem. And that's why Jesus came into this world as the Savior. That's why the Lord is ever interceding for us 24 hours a day, 24-7, to provide what? Grace and help in time of need. I have a friend who I've recently been counselling, not that I, you know, said, hey, how can I help you? He, he came to me and he's asking for advice, etc. You know, he's, uh, he's worked for a number of years at something and he has this long-term business plan, etc. Uh, but he's asking for advice on, uh, on, on something completely different, whether he should let all of that go and follow through with what he senses that God is actually calling him to at this point in time in his life. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit. None of us should be for anyone. But we can be encouragers, can't we? We can be supporters. We can provide some guidance. We can be a sounding board for people uh, so that God can impress and lead people to do what he wants them to do. Whatever we choose in life, we need to obey and we need to choose to be a blessing. So choose to obey, choose to be a blessing rather than just sitting on the couch like this fellow, right? <laughs> our, our Sabbath school lesson with the early teens today was about emotions. And I was trying to tell them that, you know, if we're just sitting down all the time with negative emotions, we'll stay that way. But we need to get up and start doing things. And then our emotions change, don't they? So what things generally cause us not to obey or to follow through on conviction that God has put in our hearts? Most often it's probably, um, you know, we feel that we have some other personal needs or we have maybe real or perceived challenges that that we face that cause us not to follow through with things maybe we have a change of priorities somewhere along the way many young people today will admit that they simply are ambivalent about things so that's what leads them not to commit and i think we've probably all been there haven't we we've all been at places in our life where we have been non-committal perhaps friends what would keep you from stepping forward and following God wholeheartedly what would keep you from living your life in a way that's really a blessing to others Jesus has told us that we ought to accept um, expect hardships in life hasn't he in um, in John 16, verse 33 there, Jesus said, you know, I have spoken to you that you may have peace. In the world you ha will have what? Tribulation. You will have trouble in the world, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Trouble or challenges shouldn't really hinder us from following God's will. The experience of the disciples also shows that, that, you know, when we're tired or reluctant, if we follow through with God's will, 
the blessings follow as well. For instance, you recall how Peter, uh, he'd been out fishing all night. And you remember he came to shore, he must have been tired, he must have been disappointed, out all night, he caught nothing. And then Jesus gives him instructions in Luke chapter 5. We read there in verses 5 to 6 how Jesus came and he said what? Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. And, and Peter says back to him, see, he says, Lord, you know, we've worked all night. We're, we're tired. We're done. Nevertheless, the Bible says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. So even though he was tired, even though he didn't feel like it, he says, nevertheless, because you say so, I'm going to do it. And what happened then? He let down the net and the Bible tells us that they caught so many fish that their nets were breaking and they had to call for help because their boat was going to sink. They had so many fish. <laughs> Sometimes God's directives to us in our modern world may not make sense, but when we follow through with them, there is great reward. When we turn from doing just our own will to doing God's will, what is that called in the Bible? What is it called? Surrender. can also be called repentance, right? Turning. Turning from doing the wrong thing to doing the right thing. So we're all called to repent. I mentioned earlier that Jesus, in this parable of the two sons, I mentioned that it's good news for everyone. In verse 29, we read about the son that answered the father. He says, I will not go. But afterwards, he regretted it and he went. Some versions use the word that he relented or he repented. Others simply say he changed his mind. The good news is that even those who reject the will of God still have the opportunity to change, still have the opportunity to repent. They're able to turn. But we also have those who say, yes, I will go, but then don't go. They're not totally cut off. And this is good news as well. They're not totally written off. Jesus points out in verse 31 that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom, what? Ahead of you or before you. I see this as good news because they can still enter, right? It's not that they don't enter. It's just that those guys are ahead of the religious leaders, etc. It takes them longer, perhaps, to get there, longer to repent. And I'm sure that some clearly probably didn't get there or don't get there. But the door is open. And that's good news. The door is always open for people to follow God's will. And we see that uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after his ascension, we see in the book of Acts that there were many religious leaders, right, that, uh, that did come to faith in Christ. And I guess Paul and Nicodemus are the two that really stand out for us there. So what is God's will in our life? What is God's will for you? In 1 John, you have your Bibles open up to 1 John, chapter 5, we read there about God's will. 
According to God, uh, it's, a, it's like, you know, praying according to God's will. John, 1 John 5, 14 to 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Last Wednesday night at uh, prayer meeting here, uh, we looked at a number of different verses about prayer and, uh, and about God's will for us. And uh, we considered this as, as one of the, the verses that talks about praying in God's will. And we talked about, well, what is God's will? According to the scriptures, God's will is regarding our salvation. When we look at all the verses in the scriptures that talk about God's will, they can come under four key umbrellas. God's will is our salvation. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. Okay? Second one, God's will is our sanctification. God wants each one of us to be in a vibrant and, and growing relationship with him. Number three, God's will is regarding our choices in life. God wants us to choose well. Why? Because God wants us to live the best life possible, to have a blessed life. And the fourth one, interestingly, is regarding prayer. God's will, according to the scriptures, is regarding prayer and our praying. In a broken world, God has given this, us this lifeline of prayer that it should remain open, that we can be connected with him through prayer. And I think all four of these can be evident in this parable of the two sons. Jesus is clearly concerned about our salvation. Jesus is clearly concerned about our spiritual growth. And Jesus is clearly concerned about our choices in life. And Jesus is clearly concerned about our connection with God. This is the will of God, to be part of your journey, both here and into eternity. Jesus has a concern for you and me, but he also has a concern for the whole world. Isn't that true? For the whole world. When I look at this parable of the two sons, I wonder how it looks on a global scale. And, you know, as I look at what's going on in the world today, um, and as I was considering this parable this week, I thought, wow, it's interesting how how this fits into some of the things that are going on in the world today. You know, recently here in Australia, was it a week or two ago, we saw in the news how there's an ever-increasing number of people in our society that check the no religion box. Isn't that true? Around 40% of Australians now consider themselves to be non-religious. And that number has doubled in just the last decade in the last 10 years. I can imagine that uh, their response to God's promptings would be a definite resounding no. Isn't that true? No. That's one of the sons in the parable, isn't it? No. <laughs> but then he changed his mind. 
can also imagine that, that uh, the situation here in Australia is probably not too much different in other, I guess, westernised or wealthy Anglo maybe countries in the world, etc., USA, um, North America, across Europe, etc. And at the other end of the scale, we've recently seen what is what a strong lurch, you could say, a strong lurch to the conservative end of the spectrum in the USA. Have you, anyone, have you seen that in the news lately? I see a couple of hands, no? Some people saying no, can't see that at all, don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, where the religious right is trying to influence society, the courts, the laws, legislation, etc. You know, as Adventists, I think this shouldn't surprise us. True? If you've read the great controversy, you would know a lot of these things. And uh, two weeks ago when I was here, I was encouraging you and I was encouraged. One of the sisters here came and she said, can I have a copy of this great controversy book? And, uh, and I showed her how she can listen to it on audio. These days you can just listen to it. You know, if you have trouble reading, if you need a new pair of specs or something, you can listen to it. Okay. Um, but we shouldn't be surprised at some of the things that are going on in America today. We've been saying for more than 100 years that the USA would ultimately rise up to speak like a dragon. The second beast of Revelation 13, it would be the enforcer of religion across the globe, like a religio-political power. And so recently, we've had this uh, US Congresswoman, maybe some of you saw this in the news as well, Lauren Bobert. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right, but she was presenting before a large mega church in Colorado. And this, this is what she said here. I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. That is not in the Constitution. It was in a stinking letter and it means nothing like what they say it does. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. She got a standing ovation from the church. Friends, when the church pushes to legislate morality, when the church enforces faith on people, that's when persecution will follow. We've seen that in history before, haven't we? Good people will try to force others to be good, just like them, to adhere to life principles just like them, to worship like them. We know that something is wrong with religion if it needs to be legislated. When I look at what's happening in the demographics, in the politics, in the culture across the world, in the light, I guess, in the, in the prism you know, of looking through this parable of the two sons. I can't help but wonder if we will not see a, a surge of completely unexpected people come to the faith. Did you get that? I wonder if there will not be a surge of people coming to the churches that we never expected would show up. Those that today are a resounding no will relent and actually listen to God's voice. On the other hand, those that say yes to God will actually not follow through and will continue 
along their journey in life resisting God's truth for this end time. Does it make sense? Already today, I think we can see an uptick in totally secular people, people that we may even consider to be the furthest away from God, people that have even wandered into spiritualistic things and occultic things that are coming to Jesus. Secular people talking about Jesus. Is that a good thing? People that have said no for a long time talking about Jesus. Whereas the supposedly morally upright citizens who may think they've got it all figured out, who may build mega churches, who push legislators to curb freedoms, the very people that say yes to the Lord may not actually follow through with God's will. What an oxymoron. I think it's good for us to consider things in a prophetic global lens, if you like, as it helps us to confirm the prophetic word of God. Things that we've been preaching for a long time we can see around us today. But more important, it's important for us here today to consider where we are at as a church, where we are at as individuals, because salvation is, of course, an individual matter, isn't it? What is my commitment to the, to the faith? What is my commitment to the Lord? How am I being a blessing to those around me, to my community? How am I contributing to the vineyard that the Lord is sending me into? What am I like at home? Am I an example? To my, am I a light to my family, to my neighbours? Has my yes continued to be a yes in my journey with Jesus? Or has my yes faded to a maybe, perhaps sometimes when I feel like it, or maybe ultimately my yes has turned into a no over the years? Friends, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's not too late to turn, to repent, to change. As a church, that's what we're here for, isn't that true? To help one another in the journey. Hebrews 13, uh, 3 verse 13 says, But exhort or encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Anyone can become discouraged along the journey. I think we all understand that, right? There's been a lot of discouragement over the last couple of years. Anyone can feel flat. Anyone can be deceived. Let's pray, friends, that the Spirit of God uses each one of us. Not to tear down, but to build up. Not to discourage, but to be encouraged in the way of Jesus. We need to be ever ready to help others along the way. I'm sure you've all heard of Handel, right? George Frederick Handel. You may play some of his pieces, right? No? <laughs> he was a music prodigy. He uh, even um, he, he moved through various important roles even as a teenager. 
he played at his, his church, he played in uh, operas and various places. And by the age of 21, Handel was considered to be a, a keyboard virtuoso. Then he moved to England because he was born in Germany, grew up in Germany. He moved to England and he became even more well known. And by the age of 40, now this is like the 1700s, you know, early to mid 1700s. By the age of 40, he was world renowned. Tragically, the life of a musician and artist can be fickle, can't it? And he ended up penniless, on the verge of complete bankruptcy. And because of his past fame, you know, when you go from a very high to a very low, you know, you feel hurt, you feel rejected, you feel like you're a failure. And then his health began to fail him. And uh, he suffered what was not known whether it was some sort of stroke or seizure of some sort. And uh, a number of his fingers actually stopped working. For a time, he recovered from that, but he was just despondent. Discouraged and poor, he decided at the age of 56 that he was just going to give it all up. And he decided he would just have one last concert and that would be it. He would retire in self-pity, I suppose. He just gave it all up. A few months later, a friend paid him a visit, Charles Jennings, brought to him a libretto on the life of Christ. It was the text, the written text, of a musical, or what could be a musical. As he read this text, Handel was stirred into action. And he began to write, and he wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote, and they, they say he just wrote non-stop for 24 days. He just wrote. And at the end of that 24 days, he had a 260-page manuscript, musical manuscript with complete orchestrations for the Messiah. Today, Handel's Messiah is considered to be one of the greatest accomplishments in the history of music composition. It's a masterpiece, a masterpiece. And all because he was encouraged by a friend. I believe each one of you is a masterpiece. A masterpiece of God's creation. Each one of you has unlimited potential in the Father's vineyard that he's sending us all out to. Is that true? Sometimes the task ahead of us may seem large. Too daunting. We clearly need divine help, but we also need to make steps in the right direction. Start with small steps. You know, if you want to run, we have a runner here, I know, recently done a half marathon, right? If you want to run, do the city to surf or half marathon, whatever, I imagine you first need to train, is that true? You first need to train. And uh, somebody was saying that, um, you know, you can get discouraged along the way because, you know, you're not doing so many miles or whatever. But they say the first thing you need to do, you need to start just by putting your shoes on every day. Hmm? 
Just put your running shoes on. As soon as you put your running shoes on, you're more likely to go for a little run, aren't you? But first you need to start. Put your shoes on. And your socks, yeah. Running socks. <laughs> if you do that as a minimum, just put your running shoes and socks on, you're more likely to go for a run. Right? Friends, if you want to witness, you need to be intentional too. Start by putting a little glow card in your, in your wallet, in your pocket, having it accessible. You know, we've got a rack full of them. A rack full up there and another rack full downstairs. I remember we used to have a guy here in the church, Ernie. He moved up to North Coast. But I, I was always resupplying those racks because he'd be taking them all out and putting them all over the place. Uh, but we need to be intentional, you know. Uh, unless we take the glow card from the rack, it's not going to ever go anywhere. Right? But we need, the first step is take that card. Probably the second step is make sure you have it on you so that when the Holy Spirit taps you and you're talking to someone, hey, maybe this person could use with this glow track. Then you got it there. But if you don't take it, you haven't even put your socks on, let alone the shoes. True? If you want to read through the Bible in a year, you need to break it down into bite sizes, right? Uh, open the Bible each day. Connect with God. Join the BHP program. Right? If you know you need to commit to the Lord, then follow through on that decision. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody that can help you with any obstacles. You know, there's always a small little first step that you need to make. Friends, in Psalms 31, verses tw verse 24, we read, Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. We live in a rapidly changing world. What is sure today may not be sure tomorrow. The things we have preached for years we see being fulfilled in our world today. And Jesus said, when you th see these things happening, look up. Lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. Don't wait too long, my friends. Make good on your yes. And if you've been a no, then be sure that God is still working on your heart. Be sure that God doesn't easily give up. Be sure that there is always hope. Don't let that little voice come in and say, you know, you've been too bad. There's no turning back for you. There's no hope for you. God always has hope for everyone. Isn't that true? And friends, as you make that step, as you make that step forward, may your yes continue to be a yes. And may God bless you abundantly. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of second chances. We thank you that... Um, that you are always calling us and wooing us. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that even when we feel that we have not much to give, when we're able to give 1%, you make up the other 99% so that our 1% becomes 100%. Thank you, Lord. 
We pray, Lord, that we may give our best to the Master. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. of the Lord. We're not concerned about the name your church has on its door. Go ye into all the world, still means get up and go. We're here to share the good news with the ones who need to know. We are laborers together in the business of the Father. Sometimes we sow the seed and others bring the water. We're all in this thing together. Winning souls is our reward. We are laborers together with the Lord. So let's all lend a hand, for the harvest day is near. We've got to send a message that the whole world needs to hear. There's no time like the present, so come along with me. It's time we work together for the cross of Calvary. We are laborers together in the business of the Father. Sometimes we sow the seed and others bring the water. We're all in this thing together. Winning souls is our reward. We are laborers together with the Lord. We are laborers together in the business of the Father. Sometimes we sow the seed and others bring the water. We're all in this thing together. Winning souls is our reward. We are laborers together with the Lord. We are laborers together with the Lord. With the Claim His name, for He loves
with arms held open wide. Stand for Jesus, he's standing by your side. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers. Alvin Martinez and family sang Stand for Jesus. Before that, we heard Labors Together by the Anchored Quartet. And coming up next, Sandra Entman will sing Faithful Men.
Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Koval Smith. This story is entitled, The Great Controversy Unfolds. Luke chapter 10 verses 18 and 19 says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. As eight-year-old Mariam walked to and from school each day with her friends, she began catching glimpses of money lying on the ground. She would point it out to her friends, but they never saw it. Then one afternoon, she saw a $5,000 guinea franc note on the ground and pointed it to her friends. They could not see the money on the ground, but when she picked it up, it became visible to them. They were excited for her. Mariam put the money in her bag and continued home. That is when the trouble began. Mariam began to see things and suffered from severe headaches. When she told her father, he understood what was happening and began trying to treat her, but in vain. He sent her to other more powerful Karamokos, but it was no use. A demon began stalking Mariam everywhere she went. He was very jealous of his girl, and he did not want her to have dealings with anyone else. His visits intensified. She fell into trances for two or three hours at a time and would wake up with severe headaches. She was forced to quit school and became very isolated, able to talk only with her mother and close relatives without incurring the demon's wrath. He would visit Mariam every Thursday and Friday, and if she didn't do what he wanted, he would attack her violently and leave her bruised. People would watch her hit her head on a wall or anything else close by. But she wasn't doing it to herself. The invisible demon was abusing her. In vain, her parents offered all kinds of animal sacrifices. One day her father took her to the most powerful Karamoko in Guinea. The demon told the Karamoko he would let her go if a close relative would trade herself to him as a ransom. This completely discouraged Mariam's family. Her father became so ashamed of his helplessness that he banished Mariam and her mother from their home, blaming them in an effort to salvage his honour. Abandoned by their entire family, Mariam, her mother and her youngest sister moved to Freya. In Freya, the girl's mother had to beg for food, and for many days they went hungry. In desperation, Mariam turned to her demon for help. He gave her a $10,000 guinea franc bill and told her that any time she needed money, she would just have to touch it and say the amount she needed, and it would appear. With that money, she was able to support her mother and younger sister. Still, Mariam was isolated. The jealous demon would take control of her unexpectedly 
when she was with other people to scare them away, especially if they were young men. She quickly lost every friend she tried to make. She begged him to stop attacking her, and he told her he would stop only if she married him. She accepted and made a covenant with him. After he gave her a nose ring and a gold wedding ring, he began to visit her more frequently. So she became fearful of her life, desperately looking for help, not caring where it might come from. Sometime later, she heard about a young Christian man named Daniel who had prayed for an old man who was sick and the man was healed. Mariam's heart leaped with great hope. Determined to find him, she began asking every young man she met if he was a Christian. When the demonic fiancé learned what she was doing, he attacked her more frequently and violently. After one particularly brutal attack, she prayed her first prayer. God, if you exist, guide me to the place I can be cured. Finally, someone was able to direct Mariam to the church Daniel attended, which was within walking distance from where she and her mother and sister lived. She went there immediately, but she just could not allow herself to walk into the service. Later, she asked herself, How could I expect them to rid me of this powerful demon if I wouldn't go inside? However, God guided Daniel to cross her path on another day. Immediately, she noticed something different about him. Hardly daring to hope, she asked him the same question she had asked so many other young men. Are you a Christian? Yes, he said. I am a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church across the road. My name is Daniel. Interrupting him before he could say another word, Mariam poured out her predicament to him. Daniel promised to talk to the leaders of the church group to see what they could do for her. During prayer meeting that week, Daniel shared about Mariam's struggle. She wants the church to pray for her, he said. The leader of the group, Pastor Neoma Lenu, gathered some leaders to make contact with Mariam and her family on Sabbath evening. Unfortunately, Daniel became frightened about the spiritual battle ahead. Elder brother, he said to Bernard, please talk to the pastor. I don't want to discourage him, but I am afraid of this sort of thing. Bernard encouraged him. Let's go. The Lord will be with us. Daniel finally agreed to go. Upon arriving, Daniel introduced the group to Mariam and her mother. After getting acquainted, one elder began to ask Mariam difficult questions about her relationship with the demon. Their plan wasn't to have the prayer for her deliverance that night, but to spend a few days in fasting and prayer to get ready for the battle. However, God had a different plan in mind for the freeing of his daughter. Pastor Neoma took over the questioning. What is the name of the demon? Since we've been together, he has never told me his name, Mariam answered. Your nose ring. How did you get it? Did the demon give it to you? Yes, and he has given me all the money I want, she added. As the questioning continued, 
A dark presence suddenly filled the room. Instantly, Mariam's head was slammed to the ground several times. Moved by this sudden violence, the little group began to pray. As they prayed, the pastor felt impressed to continue asking Mariam questions. What happened to you? he asked. When you started asking me questions, I heard the demon outside screaming, pleading with me not to reveal our secret. Mariam confided hesitatingly. As I was talking to you, he returned with force, demanding that I return his ring and the money he had given me. He said, It is over between you and me because the people you are associating with will not allow me to continue with you. Then he said to me, My name is Jin Musa. Musa meaning the demon. Jin is the Muslim term for spirit being or genie. Tell them to stop tormenting me. Even though they began to praise the Lord, Jesus had not yet completed his work. Again, the evil presence lingered, this time more powerfully, and Mariam fell into a trance. Her mother could no longer stand it and ran out of the house. The elders redoubled their efforts in prayer. When Mariam returned to consciousness, one of the men asked, What happened to you, Mariam? When you were praying, she recalled, he came back with another demon, but they could not enter the house. The other demon said that the power inside the house was too great and he could not help. I have never seen my demon so angry. He is gone. How are you feeling now, Sister Mariam? I cannot express the way I'm feeling right now. I feel like a heavy load has been taken from me. I have joy in my heart, and I believe I am truly liberated. Amazingly, Mariam went into her room and took out every charm and potion the spirit doctor had given her. She smashed the bottles and burned the rest. Then she burst into tears, exclaiming joyfully, I am free, I am free, Jesus has healed me. The pastor and three church members spent the night at Mariam's house to watch and pray and to strengthen and reassure her of Christ's deliverance. The next day, another member visited Mariam and asked how she had slept. Mariam answered, I had a dream last night. Someone came to the window and asked, What is your name? I replied that I didn't know. Immediately I saw the pastor and the other members praying around me. The pastor raised his hand and said, In the name of Jesus! And suddenly fire shot from his hand and burned the man at the window who ran away wailing. When I woke up, I tried to pray the way I heard you all praying. At nine this morning, an old Karamoko came by with some spirit medicine for me. When he came into our house, he began to shout, Hey, what's in here? There is something in this house. I invited him to sit down, but he just yelled, No, I will not sit down. He was trembling and muttering that his skin was burning. I won't come back to your house ever again. He finally shouted, and he left. When Mariam was asked about what advice 
she would give to someone who was in demonic slavery as she had been, she replied, To all who find themselves in similar situations, I would say to seek Jesus, for he alone can free anyone from all evil power. What my father and the other Karamokos could not do for me in 17 years, Jesus did for me last night. She added, I want to live the rest of my life for him. Please keep praying for me because I want to be baptised and share my testimony with those who will listen. I know there are more battles ahead. I am aware of the persecution that awaits me from my family. But the Jesus, who delivered me from demons, will deliver me from my persecutors. Today, Mariam continues to take Bible studies and serves as a deaconess in the church. She helps to clean the church and get it ready for Sabbath worship every Friday. She sings with the choir as she loves singing Christian songs. Please keep Mariam in your prayers as she walks in the path of her new life with Christ. A reflection associated with this story comes from The Desire of Ages, page 131. It says, We cannot save ourselves from the tempter's power. He has conquered humanity, and when we try to stand in our own strength, we shall become a prey to his devices. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Proverbs 18 verse 10. Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds refuge in that mighty name. The Great Controversy Unfolds was written by Fred Coker of Adventist Frontier Missions. Adventist Frontier Missions seeks to establish Indigenous Seventh-day Adventist church planting movements with unreached people groups. You can visit afmonline.org for more information. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.